brought to you by WakeMed Women's, caring for women at every life stage. Find a doctor, schedule appointments, and more. Download the WakeMed All Access app today. Before we begin, we want to make it clear that the information presented in this podcast is intended to be educational and nothing said by the host, that's me, or the guest, these super nice doctors from Wake Med, should be taken as medical advice. The information presented here is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Your health is important and seeking the advice of your own health care provider is always the best course of action. When we first did all the research studies, pretty much 40, 50 years ago, when it came about heart attacks, they were mainly done in men. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so surprised. So we have these things <laughs> called typical and atypical symptoms. Okay. Typical symptoms are really what's seen in men. Okay. And then atypical symptoms are what we think about seen in women. For women, a lot of times, they might actually end up getting things like nausea. Mm. They might have some sweating, fatigue, things like that we see a lot more common in women than we do in men. I love my grandma so much. She was my mom's mom, and I called her Grandma Grapefruit. She always had a grapefruit for breakfast because a diet in the 1950s told her it would help her keep her slender figure. My grandmother also loved a good old-fashioned. Her real name was Florence, and she was super, super fancy. Her closet had so many gold-threaded dresses and furs. I used to love digging through her jewelry box because it was full of fabulous costume jewelry. In fact, I like to think I'm a lot like her because I love a good costume. One night when I was around six years old, as we were getting off the phone, I said goodnight and hung up. Moments later, I wanted to call her back because I'd forgotten to tell her I love you. And my mom assured me that I could tell her the next time we talked. But a couple hours later, my mom woke me up to tell me that Grandma Grapefruit had passed away. She had fallen unconscious at a party and never woke up. She'd had... A massive heart attack. Turns out bad hearts run in my family. I have always wondered if there had been any warning signs that could have led her to the doctor's office instead of that party. Though I do find solace in the fact that she died doing exactly what she loved the most, being surrounded by family and friends, laughing and having a good time. It's not a bad way to go. I have always heard that a woman's heart attack looks very different than a man's. Why is that? What are the early signs that your heart might be sick? My name is Sarah, and I have questions about women's heart health. All right, well, joining me right now is Chelsea Gonggang. She is an MD in cardiology with Wake Med. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about hearts today. Let's just jump into heart attacks. A lot of people, when they think of heart health, they think of heart attacks. Mm -hmm. How does a heart attack change, or how does it present in a woman versus a man? So main thing about it is that when we first did all the research studies pretty much 40, 50 years ago when it came about heart attacks, they were mainly done in men. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so surprised. So we have these things (laughs) called typical and atypical symptoms. Okay. Typical symptoms are really what's seen in men. Okay. And then atypical symptoms are what we think about seen in women. Oh, isn't that just, ay, ay, ay. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the the fact that it's actually atypical. It's just the fact that that, that that's who was studied. Okay. Okay? So um, we can still see typical symptoms, uh, quote unquote, um, with women as well. And so when we 
think about um, main symptoms for a heart attack, of course, anything like clenching your chest, feeling like you're having chest tightness, squeezing sensation. Um, a lot of times people will feel pressure. They'll say something like an elephant sitting on their chest. Oh. They might not actually feel pain. They might just feel like a lot of pressure on their chest. Like they can't take a good deep breath. Mm. For women, a lot of times, they might actually end up getting things like nausea. Mm. Um, so nausea, just feeling overall just bad. Like they're not able to do the, the things that they would normally do that day. They might have some sweating, fatigue, things like that. We see a lot more common in women than we do in men. Well, so... So saying that makes me think I could have gone to the doctor numerous times for a heart attack in my life, especially around what I like to call special lady time, mm-hmm. because I've, I will sometimes break out into a sweat. I will sometimes get nauseous. I've certainly gotten lightheaded around that time. So, um, I mean, how are you supposed to tell? Like, can, do you get a lot of people going in for these symptoms and it not actually being a heart attack? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially during, like you were talking about, perimenopausal time where you have vasomotor symptoms, which is basically what you were saying as to having um, night sweats or palpitations, heart racing, all of a sudden feeling fatigue and sweaty, things like that that can actually be around the time that people are starting to have menopause. They can actually feel like they're, you know, having something that is going on with their heart because their heart rate can go higher. They can have higher blood pressure during that time as well when they're actually having a hot flash. And so it can be very much so symptoms that they can feel like something might be going on with their heart too. Mm. Um, And so usually the difference though is that usually hot flashes or vasomotor symptoms that happen when it comes to perimenopausal time, they're usually lasting about five to 10 minutes. And then you get some type of relief. And usually it's relief without any other intervention besides maybe getting a cold pack, sticking your head in the freezer, something like that. Right? Yeah, everyone's, everyone's yeah. seen their mom do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but actually with a, with a heart attack, you're not getting relief. So you need something that is going to relieve that burden of, of what we call ischemia or low blood flow into the heart. And that means that you have to either get aspirin, you're going to have to get nitroglycerin, something that is going to open up that artery better. And um, just drinking some water, just putting your head in the freezer, yeah. just laying down is not going to relieve it. A pack of cold peas isn't going to do anything for you. <laughs> it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. Um, well, speaking of perimenopause mm-hmm. and hearts. Is there any correlation between hormones and heart health and heart attacks? Absolutely. So one of the things that we think about when we talk about risk stratification when it comes to men and women is that you'll see in a lot of guidelines, they talk about uh, family history of heart disease. And we'll talk about men and their age is usually about 10 years earlier than women. And because of that, we think about the risk of patients that have heart attacks. And so we'll talk about men being around their 40s, 50s for like early heart disease. Mm -hmm. And then for women around 50s, 60s, because of the fact of estrogen okay so estrogen and progesterone play a huge role in protective um, um, roles and when it comes to our coronary atherosclerotic formation okay you gotta explain what that yeah, is absolutely absolutely <laughs> like, that's a big so, scrabble word right yeah, there so atherosclerosis is basically the plaque that forms in coronary arteries plaque is basically cholesterol and a couple of other um, portions of the blood cells that end up forming the lining on the the, the actual arteries and when that forms that lining on the arteries it keeps on building and building it makes a little mountain and then that mountain can rupture 
And that's what causes a heart attack. Yikes. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that mountain stays very, very low or not at all. Right. And that's basically keeping your arteries clean. How do you do that? I mean, you don't have like mm-hmm. a snake like you use for your plumbing. Yeah. So so that's what we do. We do rotorootering. Um, do you basically. really? Do you yeah. have like a snake that goes? Oh, in a- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We have lasers and, and um, all kinds of things to be able to go through the arteries and uh, kind of declog them um, as well. But wow. but don't let that be people's back. Oh yeah, Lord no! I we're don't gonna, want you to do that. No, we don't this want that. Horrible. We want to do. We want to do prevention. That's what we're here for. We're going to do prevention. So main things that are going to be helpful for prevention is going to be things like um, high fiber foods. So things that are going to be high in fiber. So of course, leafy green vegetables, um, fruits, things like that. One thing I want to tell you about it, people don't realize, is that um, a lot of times frozen vegetables and frozen fruits are actually better than fresh. Oh. And so people don't really think that way because we always think, oh, everything has to be completely fresh right because of the fact that fresh foods um, if you get them from like the grocery store not if you go to the farmers market which we have a great farmers market here or you you grow them on your own but um, basically when they need to be packaged and shipped uh-huh. and they're usually cut before they're ripe and I so see. you're not getting all those nutrients so actually when you get frozen vegetables and fruits they're actually cut at peak ripeness And then they're flash frozen and packaged. And so when you're getting them and you're cooking them, you actually, if you cook that compared to cooking a fresh one, you actually can get four times more nutrients. Wow. Yeah. So um, that's one of the things that's helpful for them. Well, I have a question about the fact that you said fiber is going to help you keep your arteries clean because, I mean, I can see fiber keeping your digestive system clean Mm because it like scrubs it out. How is that keeping your arteries clean? Because it helps you get rid of the bad cholesterol. So just how you're saying it scrubs you out because yeah. you're going to definitely go to the bathroom. That's right. You know, we've yes. all had collard greens. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so eating that those collard greens, not with um, the pork in them and things like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but but eating um, uh, definitely leafy green vegetables and high fiber di- uh, diet with oatmeal, oats, things like that. Well, what they do is it ends up helping you get rid of the LDL cholesterol and the VLDL cholesterol. These are the bad cholesterols, right? Okay. This is what I call the low down dirty dog. LDL, <laughs> low down dirty. I got it. This I like is, it. They're the depositors. They're the ones that deposit cholesterol on your arteries. Okay. You want you do not want those numbers to be to be elevated. You okay. want them to be as low as possible and so eating high fiber foods help you get rid of those through your poop so they do they they're binders so they bind to it that's Mm -hmm. what my question was Mm -hmm. interesting okay cool so what other ways can we keep our arteries clean so other ways that can keep your arteries clean is basically one thing i would say is you can't outrun your genetics Uh, Uh, and that's not fair I mean you meet people who are athletes and like do all the things I'm assuming exercise every doctor would come in here is like you gotta exercise like every single doctor yeah (laughs) only problem is that you know I have plenty of I mean marathon runners I have plenty of like people that exercise regularly and they're still on meds yeah and it's because people in their family previous they they died early Mm-hmm. And and they are now older and able to have family and and grandchildren and, and children and things like that and see them later on in life where their their parents and grandparents were not able to because their genetics, unfortunately, did not allow that. Mm. And so now we have modern medicine to kind of fight the genetic battle. And so how would you find out if your genetics are bad just because your cholesterol is bad? Like no matter the fact that you eat oatmeal every day and you go for a run every day, you still need to go have a physical have this type of stuff checked. Absolutely. 
absolutely. So if you know your family history, um, which I know, unfortunately, some people do not know their family history. But if you do happen to be fortunate enough to know your family history, that's like aunts, uncles, grandparents, your mother and father, brothers and sisters. If they've had premature coronary disease, so say if they've had um, any type of coronary or any type of um, event, stroke, anything like that, before the age of 50, I would say men or women, mm. um, then you really want to be able to look into if you have any of those issues yourself, like if you have any risk factors for those issues. So that's cholesterol, making sure your blood pressure is, is well controlled, making sure your sugar is well controlled for diabetes, mm. things like that that you want to be able to take in consideration because I have patients that literally work out, eat healthy. They do everything I ask them for. Right. And they're still on three meds for blood pressure. It's just genetics, man. Genetics are, but their family members are on dialysis. Oof. So how does it lead to dialysis? Dialysis is whenever mm-hmm. you have to, they basically replace your kidneys, correct? So mm-hmm. like you, you have to get your urine filtered through a machine. Isn't that what that is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how does your heart associate with that? So dialysis has a huge play when it comes to um, heart health, because a lot of times what we have is we have accelerated atherosclerosis, so accelerated plaque on the arteries Mm. when patients are on dialysis. So dialysis can be a huge burden on to heart health. And that's the reason why prevention is so key. Mm. Um, Not to say that dialysis is like a death sentence, because we have plenty of patients that are on dialysis for a long period of time before they either, if it's actually a destination therapy where they're on it lifelong, or if it's a bridge to actual transplant. Mm. Um, We have plenty of patients that that do well on dialysis, but we still need to be able to make sure that we try to prevent this because it can actually accelerate atherosclerosis and cause um, heart disease. Okay, so it's not the heart disease causing the dialysis. It's the dialysis that could cause heart disease. Mm, Absolutely. Gotcha, okay. And, And also the other thing is that Um, high blood pressure, which is a factor in heart disease, can cause dialysis Mm. because it's almost like a um, you want your you want your arteries to feel the pressure of like if you have a water hose. Mm. So if you're watering your your lawn or you just actually open on the water hose and the water is falling out. Well, that's how we want our blood pressure to be. But you don't want your blood pressure to be like opening a fire hydrant. No, because if you're open a fire hydrant, imagine that same pressure of water hitting up against your kidneys okay so that is is blasting all of your little little tissue of your kidneys out yeah open so that's the difference between you want it to be gentle amount of like water that's coming out and you want it to be gentle blood pressure you don't want it to be other way around i'm gonna i'm gonna take this down to an elementary level Mm -hmm. so your kidneys are filtering your blood and that's what's Mm -hmm. creating the urine yes yeah i I didn't even i didn't really know that until this moment (laughs) (laughs) no you got I didn't go to medical school. Um, So I was reading um, in, I think it was on the American Heart Association's website, and and back pain and jaw pain are really uh, common when someone's having a heart attack. Why is that? So a lot of times this is about like in utero, um, basically when embryonic, when you're getting developed, your body is flipping around in multiple ways um, mm-hmm. to get your organs in the correct places. And those nerves are flipping around in different places as well. So you can have something called referred pain. So the nerves that all started off maybe in your gut that have moved to your back, um, but they are near where your heart is, those same nerves, as they're so close um, in origin to each other, you can feel them there. 
So that is one of the reasons why we talk about people that have like appendicitis might have where appendix is down here. Yeah. You might feel the uh, pain in your um, uh, upper, upper abdomen. So that your appendix is by your right hip and mm-hmm. you can feel it in between your yes, ribs. Absolutely. Or you might have a gallbladder issue and you feel it in your heart. Oh, interesting. So, so how are you ever supposed to know what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very challenging. I think basically you just have to be able to just get checked out. Yeah. You have to just go get checked out. Just yeah. don't ignore it. Don't drink water. Don't drink apple cider vinegar. Go get checked out yeah. by someone yeah. just to make sure. But it, that is definitely very common. Jaw pain. I've had patients that have gotten teeth removed thinking that, that it, was, it, was it was their tooth and it was actually a heart attack. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. They were having, where well, it wasn't a heart attack at that moment, it was unstable angina, meaning that they were having chest pain at rest. Angina means chest pain. I see. Okay. And that's that's what they were happening. Wow. We'll be right back because you know I have more questions. Ladies, when it's your health, it's your decision. And the decision is clearly WakeMed Women's. From pregnancy and childbirth to gynecology, surgery, weight loss, your emotional well-being, and your heart. The care is as compassionate as it is comprehensive. So, wherever your health takes you, a lifetime of highly specialized care and a very good decision await you at wakemed.org. I want to move to some rapid fire things. Sure. Okay. I have re- I've heard from various people in my life, and I won't name names given the nature of a couple of these questions, mm-hmm. um, that these people have ended up in the ER thinking they were going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So I want you to just speak on what comes to mind. Acid reflux and heartburn mm-hmm. and, you know, ending up in the ER thinking you're having a heart attack. Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, all the time. Absolutely. Um, so I would say acid reflux can make you feel like you're dying. It really can. I mean, I have it sometimes. It oh, just... oh, you, wait, hopefully you will never have the type of acid reflux that, that, that makes you feel this bad. But I have definitely seen some terrible acid reflux before. Oh. And so um, what it does is it ends up causing it. So the esophagus is right near the heart. Right. And so if the esophagus is having any spasms or you're having acid that's coming into the esophagus where it's not supposed to be, then you're going to have pain in your center of your chest. And if everybody tells you that pain in the center of your chest is the heart, you're going to come to the emergency room. That makes sense. And so one of the ways to kind of be able to decipher between some of this is that um, you can take some antacids at home. So you take some Tums, you take Rolaids or um, uh, some Pepsid, Nexium, something like that at home. If it's not going away, those usually act pretty quickly. Yeah. So if it's not going away after about 15 minutes or so and it's getting worse or um, acid reflux does not change with exertion. Okay, so if I start walking up some stairs and I have acid reflux, my acid reflux is going to be the same acid reflux. Right. If I walk upstairs and I have angina, which is chest pain from the heart, it's going to get worse. I see. Because okay. I, it requires me to make more blood to the heart. And if I can't get blood to the heart because then of it's a blockage, gonna hurt. it's going to hurt more. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, okay. When I was pregnant, I I was really worried because I I, I thought I was having heart palpitations, mm-hmm. and honestly, they they've continued to happen now. I'll feel like a fluttering in my chest, and I'll check my pulse, and it's just fine. 
What's going on there? Oh, absolutely. So um, heart palpitations are quite common in pregnancy. Also, they're quite common in the general population. So heart palpitations are usually when you have an extra beat from the top chamber of your heart, which are the atrium, okay. or the bottom chambers of your heart, which are the ventricles. These are called premature ventricular or premature atrial contractions. They're quite common. It's one of the most common things that I see in clinic on a regular basis. Um, they're very benign. Oh, good. And in most cases, they're completely normal. Um, most people, I would say probably 99% of the time, they're completely benign. There are things that can change your palpitation um, frequency. So caffeine is one thing that can imp- and really, really increase it. i all my questions here. Yeah, that can really, <laughs> it will really increase it. So pal- um, palpitation can definitely happen more with caffeine, any type of energy drinks, things like that. Um, dehydration is another one. So if you're not staying hydrated, you need about 64 ounces of water a day to make sure that you're staying adequately hydrated. But dehydration will definitely do it. Also around menstrual cycles. So perimenopausal as well as around your menstrual cycle, you can have increased amounts of palpitations. Well, okay, I need to back up. Why? Okay, first of all, 64 ounces. Is that for every single body for a 10 foot tall person versus a five foot four person? Mm-hmm. You still need 64 ounces. You'll pee out the rest of it. Okay, okay. Now, only time that that changes is if a person has heart failure or kidney disease. Okay. Because they might not be able to filter out that much water. And also they might retain too much of that water if they have heart failure. Okay. And so it might change and we'll have to talk to your doctor about how much water you should have. But the general person should do about 64 ounces, which is about four bottles of like 16 ounce bottles. Okay. Um, and how does that make your heart healthier? Oh, so the way that it makes our heart healthy is basically your total body because your body is about 80, 90 percent water, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're not having enough water, then you're going to put yourself in a dehydration state and a dehydration state means that your cells are not working appropriately. Uh, the rest of your body is not able to function appropriately. And so that's the reason why it's so important to make sure that you're hydrated. Interesting. OK, um, well, you hit on the caffeine and you hit on skipping a heartbeat or adding a heart because that was mm-hmm. my next question. What about cold medication? Mm-hmm. So cold medications, um, a lot of times I would say for making sure that a person talks to their to their um, doctor, or their primary provider, about um, whether they should take certain cold medications, especially ones with phenylephrine, so decongestants. Yeah, because I've, I've had that happen to me. Absolutely, because those can actually cause you to have more palpitations and also increasing your blood pressure. So a lot of times what we'll use is chlorocetin D or um, chlorocetin um, HBP, which is basically a type of medication that can help out with congestion and symptoms like that, especially as we're going through the cold season um, without increasing your blood pressure. Seems like that might be dangerous to have something that affects your heart that do you do you ever recommend those types of decongestions or um, um, at times. So like people that are completely healthy, have no hypertension history, things like that, then yes, usually they can take them. The The pharmacists try to do pretty well with them because they are behind the counter. Mm. So you do have to use a, um, a um, actual ID to get those types of medications they have um, a decongestant in them mm. um, because some people do other things with them. Terrible, um, nefarious things. Yes. So, <laughs> so that that is something that we um, we they try to try to make sure that people are are careful about. Gotcha. All right. Well, I only have one more question, and this is I've had this is probably my most common mm-hmm. commonly asked question when I told my friends I was doing this, and that is gummies. 
Marijuana gummies. (laughs) Delta 8 gummies. Because in North Carolina, marijuana is not legal. And so they have these strands called Delta 8 and Delta Delta 9. And I've had a few people come up to me and say, I tried the Delta 8 gummy and it made my heart go crazy. Have you heard anything about this? (laughs) Yes, yes. So, So the thing about it is that we don't have a lot of evidence about heart health and marijuana use. We have some, we definitely do have some um, uh, uh, research, but because it's not um, technically, um, there is not FDA approved and it's not necessarily um, uh, legalized across the board, right. it's only certain places that can do randomized clinical trials. Right. And so when you don't have randomized clinical trials, you can't get what we call like um, guideline-based therapy or or studies or guidelines for what we're going to do when it comes so to medicine. So it's the wild west out there It right really now. is. Okay. It really is. And so, and then the thing about it is a lot of times we don't know who's making the products. And so that is, it's like, it's like, how am I going to say that your, your process and procedure of making this is going to be safe for my patients? Whereas like when we have the FDA, you know, whether we have issues with them or not, but yeah. at least we can say that, you know, I know if this has been passed by the FDA that they have gone through these steps to make sure it will stay for my patients to be able to take. Gotcha. For me to give advice on um, marijuana gummies is really difficult because there is no process and procedure when it comes to that. We are able to sometimes give advice on like, like I tell my patients about magnesium all the time, right? And magnesium is not technically FDA approved, okay, but it is a supplement that I have seen a lot of benefit with and has been on the market for so long that we can kind of basically kind of figure out from the generalized situation that that is actually beneficial for patients. In what way? So we love magnesium when it comes to sleep. Um, really does help out with sleep, helps out with blood pressure, helps out with palpitations, with anxiety. Wow, a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff. So really, um, really has been really, really helpful. Um, I like to use a formulation glycinate. Okay. So there's three different formulations on the market for magnesium. A lot of times you'll see is oxidate, citrate, and then glycinate. It's not Um, milk of magnesia. Don't do that. Yeah, milk of magnesia. You're just going to go to the bathroom. (laughs) That's the last. That's about, that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> hey, you heard it here first. Don't yeah. take milk or magnesia. Take the supplements. Yeah. Just I, it does help out with like if you have acne, you can put it on there and, and oh. it'll dry it up. See, magnesium's a cure-all. It's, it's amazing. It's okay. amazing. So if you had any kind of, a, I lied to you about that being my last question. Um, if you had any advice as far as like just a general advice for people to keep their heart healthy and to keep them out of your office, mm-hmm. what would you say? I would say eat well. Eat fiber. Eat fiber. Eat Lots of fruits and vegetables. Make sure you watch out on your red meat, okay. fried food intake. So those are the big things that you want to hold off on. Olive oil is the best thing ever. I go through gallons of it. Yeah, olive oil is the best thing ever. If you can keep away from the vegetable oils and other types of oils, um, canola oil, things like that, you want to stick with olive oil, avocado oil, or grapeseed oil. Gotcha. Those are the types of oils I would I would recommend. Then activity. Mm. Activity is very, very important. If you can get in activity at least around 20 minutes, five times a week. If I am a person, I am a realist, okay? I think that if you're able to do something, it's better than nothing. Move your body. If you move. Like, find something you enjoy, whether it's dancing, Zumba, if you like working out, if you like doing weights, whatever you like to do. If you find something you enjoy doing, do it. And then if if you don't enjoy anything, just do five minutes. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who hates exercising or moving in general, and that's that's good advice for her. Yeah. Just do five minutes. You can do five minutes during a commercial. Just get, get up, up and get hate up. every second have, of those five minutes. every second, <laughs> but walk in place, do a jumping jack, 
whatever you need to do. Okay. But it's better than what you did the day before. That's it. Okay. All right. And uh, sleep as well or no? Sleep is amazingly needed for me right now, but it's <laughs> needed for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so if you are able to do six, eight hours of sleep, everyone says eight hours. I know it's very hard for most people to get a full eight hours, but that is what we, for guideline proven to be able to be restorative and being able to make sure that we're doing well with our, when it comes to our blood pressure, just overall health in general. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was super informative. Oh, well, I am absolutely pleased to be here. Thank you for so much for inviting me. Yet again, you need to exercise. And how interesting is it that eating fiber not only cleans out your digestive system, but it actually cleans your heart as well. The entire body is connected and it is so fascinating. Sarah Has Questions is a production of Capital Broadcasting Company. My guest today was Dr. Chelsea Gonggang with WakeMed Cardiology. To find out more about her or any of the other providers from WakeMed, go to wakemed.org. If you have thoughts about any episode or questions you want me to ask in a future episode or ideas for an episode at all, send me a message in the link. You'll find it in the show notes. Thanks for listening.